and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everybody in between. He's your favorite Mexican-American Gemini from South Texas. It's Chibi. And she's the lipstick-loving Salvadorican from Brooklyn, New York. It's Rocky. And this is Words and Shit. The show where you get to know the person behind the poetry. Brought to you by Write Art Out. Yo, what up, Rocky? Hi. Hi, friend. How are you doing? I mean, we hanging in there. We doing good. We feeling, looking good, feeling fine. All of that stuff, right? <laughs> I know, I know. I, I was like, for those who don't know, like, I didn't have a lip on. And then Chippy was like, go put on a bright lip. I'm like, okay. You want to all out here for me. Thank you. Live your best life. Live your best life. I, I love uh, that people are already making comments and just being like, hi, I'm here. I'm like, hi, audience. We see you. <laughs> hi. I'm so excited for today. Let's do this. But. But let me let me let me t- tell you, like the world is slowly opening back up, right? Um, yeah. It's it's been a it's been a year and then yeah. some. Yes. And uh, one of the things that I think I miss the most, like I've been thinking about this as things are opening back up, and it's like, okay, like obviously, like I miss our live poetry shows, right? I'm I'm I miss having game nights with friends, but one of the things that I miss the most has been theater and the theater experience, right? Of uh, going to a theater um, or being part of a theater. Like you, you live in New York. I know, I do. (laughs) (laughs) What, what, uh, it has been, so it's so funny because when you're talking about like, you know, it's slowly coming back up. um, Our work has like nonstop been talking about it. How Mm -hmm. our mayor, it's been like New York City is going to be back up this summer, full on, full 100% capacity, um, which is kind of scary as because, you know, we went through something so traumatic. And, you know, one of the things that it's going to be bringing up is Broadway, right? Broadway should mm. be at 100% or not 100%, but they will be open um, coming in September, which they've been gone for almost a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Funny story is um, when New York City actually shut down, I was supposed to take my students to go see Span on the Opera, right? And oh. yes, I, we were. We were scheduled to go see Span on the Opera. And um, and then, you know, we were about to go. And my colleagues and I were, like, hesitant. Like, do we go? Do we not? Like, do we take this virus seriously? And then um, Paul <laughs> was like, everything shuts down. Broadway. And it was... It was mayhem, right? Because I'm calling up Broadway and be like, "Do I? How do I refund tickets?" And they're like, "We're getting like thousands of calls of like, yeah. how do we get refunds and everything?" So, theater, theater is gonna. I'm be- sure that was pandemonium. What has been like, you know, like in the before times? What What was like one of your like favorite theater experiences? Oof. Um. So hands down, Hamilton. I got to see Hamilton. <laughs> In New York City, yes, I didn't get to see the original cast, but I definitely, um, uh, I was dating someone and she she bought tickets for us. It was very magical. I think, you know, hands down, um, Hamilton's always going to be like my number one. But mm-hmm. I will let you know, close second is SpongeBob SquarePants the musical. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> okay, Deep Cuts. <laughs> Broadway Deep Cuts by Raquel. Yes. <laughs> went to go see it twice the first time i was like up in the first couple of rows and it's very interactive right and the Mm. second time i actually paid full price to go see it on another date yeah just because it was that good it was amazing wow Mm -hmm. wow 
okay. But okay. I, I know. I'm just letting you know. Don't let it, don't like knock it out. Um, no judging. But I know that you're, you know, you're definitely into the theater scene and, you know, you have not only been in productions, right? Um, uh, like Usnavi in Washington Heights. Um, and, you know, you've, you've doubled into both like poetry and the theater scene. And I know that as much as you can, you've also seen Hamilton, right? With your, your family as well in Texas. So how about you? You're, you're the theater nerd. Like I'm just here as the audience. You're, you are in that world. You, you're so right. Uh, Linda Marie just put that uh, she got to see Hamilton in Houston when it came through. Um, and yeah, I totally second that motion that like it, them releasing it on Disney plus, um, during the pandemic, during the quarantine times was like golden for a lot of us because like we, we missed that that was happening. Uh, I definitely saw it at least three times in the first week. Um, oh, wow. oh, yeah. Ryan McMaster says Avenue Q at Tuts. Oh my God. I love me some Avenue Q. That um, is. I will say my favorite theater experience because I am in the theater world as well was when I got the chance to play Uznabi in In the Heights, that whole production, you know, like when like, this is very true in theater, but I think it's true in anywhere, right? You can have a, a planning committee, like when like the right people are in the right roles, right? And everything is just moving so seamlessly that like the finished product is just like better than what you could have imagined going into it. Like that entire experience of putting that show together. It was the 10th anniversary. It was in Laredo. We had people from Puerto Rico flying mm -hmm. over and being part of the production. We had a personalized video message from Lin-Manuel Miranda. Okay. And we all cried when they played that. Yes. They played that for us. We cried. It was like, okay. And that was like the best night of the best performance. Cause we were all like in the feels of it. Wow. So yeah, it's the, it's the magic. It's the magic that comes with theater that uh, with live shows like that, that I think I miss the most uh, that really create the experience for people. Um, and in a certain way, I think that's what drew me to spoken word mm -hmm. is that it's this like, if you're talking about like slam, right? Um, it's it's a, a three minute play, right? Yeah. You get to tell an, a, an entire story in three minutes. Yeah. And then if you work as like a, as a spoken word artist and you, and you tour and you uh, do featured sets, you get to craft like a little 30 minute to an hour long set, right? Of, of storytelling. Of this oral tradition that you just get to like bring to life from from what was once a blank page to a fully realized you know one person show, if you will. So I think that's what I love a lot about spoken word and about poetry is how it mirrors the magic of theater, um, which is why I am so excited for our guest tonight uh, because they definitely live in both worlds of mm -hmm. theater and poetry and spoken word and just in and are active in both worlds so, so heavily. So um, let's get to it. Kevin Cantor is a trans non-binary poet and theater maker working to deconstruct and reimagine the semiotics of gender on stage and in performance. Kevin has toured nationally with their poetry, performing and leading workshops at colleges 
colleges and universities across the country. Kevin's writing, which aims to explore survivorship and trauma, challenge rape culture, interrogate gender's role in storytelling and raise queer voices has been featured in Teen Vogue, Buzzfeed, Upworthy, and in the anthology, We Believe You, Survivors of Campus Sexual Assault Speak Out. Their debut full length collection, Please Come Off Book, is available now on Button Poetry. Ladies and gentlemen, in the comments section, please help us welcome to our virtual stage, Kevin Cantor, everybody. Yay! Did I do it? I did it. <laughs> Yay. Hi. Oh my oh. goodness. You're like, you look amazing. <laughs> Thank you. It's all, it's, it's, I'm sitting, the lighting is confusing. There's a light in my kitchen. There's the sun setting over Lake Michigan in Chicago. I just moved here. Here we are. <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm loving, loving this like, like bump and everything it's just like and it's like look at this highlighter look at this uh, kevin had a whole costume change during yes. the intro <laughs> i did i went and i was like you know what she needs a little shave <laughs> and, a, and, a, and, a, and a little base so yeah we should lack some stuff on there we got camera ready here we are you know, oh it's, it's just a little chapstick really that's all it is oh yeah it's instead of that's always like when, because I also do makeup. So when people are like, what's your secret? It's like chapstick. Always, people. You have to look hydrated. Yes. Or, and water, right? Or water. I feel like now as I'm getting older, you're like, whatever. Or alcohol. Yes. Cheers. Salud. Yes. Salud to that. <laughs> All oh, right. man. So, yeah. Um, wow. You just look fabulous. I just want to let you know. Just amazing. Just It was great. Um so thank you for you know for being here we're so excited for you um we like to start off our little segment with uh a check-in since you're going to be our friend you know and hopefully afterwards so i always <laughs> like to say uh how's your heart today like how's your today this week this year whatever length or maybe how you're projecting your heart gonna be for the future <laughs> yeah 100 um i it's it, my, my heart my heart is 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 buoyant um, and, but also bouncing around a bit. That buoyancy has led to some bouncing. Um, so I mean, I just I just moved to Chicago about three and a half weeks ago. I'm still feeling a little untethered, a little uprooted. Um, but also for the first time in a while, uh, anxiously optimistic about what the next few months may hold for myself and all of us. Um, and and ready to like hit the ground running and, and with a hopefully a new sense of invigoration. So yeah, mm, that's great. I, I like that, and I think that feeling kind of resonates because for a lot of us, we've just kind of been stagnant for a while. With like those of us that work in the performing arts, it's just mm -hmm. everything just shut down, and it's like okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. It's like the dog that's like looking at the squirrel, like I'm gonna go get it. I'm gonna go get it. I'm gonna go get it, and like just let me go already. I, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very ready. And, and But again, like cautiously optimistic, right? I mean, what you were speaking to about Broadway announcing their reopening in September, I'm like, well, I have some notes um, about how you might want to do that uh, re re ethically, responsibly, not only as a means of safety, but also like um, for the communities that perhaps you did not do such a good job of, um, you know, taking care of before the shutdown. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really eager. Uh, and then also I think with all this time that we've had off, um, recentering, I think 
what perhaps some of us uh, had taken for granted as far as the ways in which taken advantage of in the performing arts industry and being like, hey, if you can exude all this energy to stay alive through digital programming and innovative programming while we all can't gather, like maybe dedicate some of that energy towards um, uplifting uh, marginalized communities and making theater more accessible for everyone. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Sounds like a no-brainer. Well, I'm interested to dive into more of that conversation uh, later on, but what we'd like to do to kick it off so that if there's anybody watching that doesn't know, we like uh, the audience to get to know you a little bit better in a segment that we call speed dating. So we will be asking you a series of questions and feel free to answer as in-depthly or as concisely as you feel is necessary to answer the question. I can and I shall. All right. So. Yeah. First question, what is a role that you would that you would most like to play or that you most enjoyed if you already played your dream role? Um, I would love to play some of Shakespeare's canonical femme leads. Yes. I want to be Juliet. I want to be Ophelia. I want to be Lady M. I want to be Rosalind. I want to be Beatrice. <laughs> I'm gonna just go out on a limb and say you would be a phenomenal Ophelia, okay? <laughs> yeah. And it's so interesting because like they were, you know, like um, I think both genders were playing that during Shakespeare's time. I'm like, let me oh, tell yeah. you, I'm a Shakespeare buff, like let's go, Shakespeare was queer as fuck. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, yes, Shakespeare, it's in the name. I mean, I don't yeah. know, it's not that hard, right? <laughs> Oh my goodness, I love this already. Um, all right. So, because now I'm like, you have a great smile. Wow, Kevin, I'm just, just taking them back. Um, my question is, so what kind of item of like expression, it could be clothing, it could be hair, you know, the care of your, color of your hair, makeup, jewelry, accessories, whatever, that makes you feel most empowered? Ooh, empowered. Um, I mean, lately, honestly, I love drawing on my brows. I love giving myself a real eyebrow. Yeah. I've been getting a lot of compliments on my brows lately, and every time I just say, oh, thanks, I drew them on myself. <laughs> <laughs> Especially during this time where we're all wearing masks, like, this is it, people. Yes. Okay. You got to showcase the goods right here. Uh, if, you, if you did not perfect doing your brows during quarantine, you I don't know what you're doing. surviving, which is also okay. <laughs> it is okay. It is absolutely okay. <laughs> All right, next question. I ask this of everyone because I'm genuinely curious. Uh, what is your favorite dish? Uh, ooh, my favorite dish. Um, like a small to medium-sized saucer. <laughs> That's hilarious. One that fits my, perfect, my mug just perfectly, just so. Uh, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> I love it. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> my favorite like, dish. That's not what I meant. <laughs> I know. I know. I, I, I intentionally leave it this way. You can take the question wherever you want it to go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like waiting for someone to be like, what's your favorite dish? It's like, oh, you want me to have like comeback jokes? Like, I got this. Like, let me dish it out. Right. <laughs> 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 Planting that seed. Yeah. Out, out there, out there. Um, so my last, you know, our last question. Um, is with which mythical creature or fictional character would you want to meet in person if you could? Um, okay, fictional character 
or a mythical creature. Okay, so I'm just, I'm gonna tether it to my book. Yes. Um, <laughs> and and uh, probably uh, Peter Pan. Oh. There's a, there's a lot there. There's a lot to talk about with Peter. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah, Peter Pan. Also, I, if because if I could have a superpower, it would be flight. Mm. So that's, um, that's sort of, integrated in there but yeah peter pan and i'll read that poem later <laughs> oh i'm so looking forward to this yes because i have like let's go let's go into this like yeah. everyone's fear right <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah uh masters in english over here <laughs> all right all right all right well that was just a little taste a little taste of kevin uh, we'll dive deeper into conversation with them in a little bit. I already love the comments that I'm seeing coming through. Uh, Andy is training people to do their brows when they cannot. Uh, Linda's eyeshadow game has been the bombest it's ever been. You get your life, Linda. I love it. Uh, but right now what we're going to do is we're going to hand the show over to Kevin so that they can share some of their amazing work. And please, audience, use the comments section. Show some love. We're watching it. Also, when we come back into the interview, ask your questions, okay? Rocky and I got questions, but I'm sure you got questions too. This is yeah. your chance to get to know the person behind the poetry. Uh, but right now, Kevin, could you please just bless us with some poetry? I, I would love to. Thanks. Hey y'all, oh wow, now you can see a lot more of my empty apartment, um, which doesn't make me feel naked at all. Uh, yeah, so as they mentioned a little bit, um, I, in addition to my work as a poet, am, am also an actor. Um, I've worked primarily in, in the regional theater scene um, for the past five years or so, of course, before everything was shut down. Uh, and my book, Please Come Off book, uh, is largely inspired by my, the, the intersection of that work. Um, that, that should be actually spoke to quite eloquently um, uh, as, as both a poet uh, and, and a theater practitioner and also one who is trans non-binary. Um, I was an acting apprentice at the Actors Theater of Louisville, Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, and at the time in the company's 40 or so year history, I was the first uh, openly identifying non-cis acting apprentice in 40 years. Uh, and a lot of the experiences working in regional theater, navigating what it means to be a gender expansive, uh, trans and gender non-conforming artist in largely cis spaces, as what inspired this book. Um, and the phrase please come off book is, is an industry term uh, that means arrive to the first rehearsal uh, having memorized your role. Uh, and I felt as a trans non-binary theater practitioner, I was often being asked to perform undue labor uh, as a means to feel as if I'd earned my spot at the table. Um, things such as uh, please come prepared to educate us on your lived experience. Um, please come prepared to tolerate microaggressions uh, for the sake of our artistic vision. Uh, please come prepared to accept the limited narrative value that we will assign you in service to what we have been told and taught are the stories that bodies like yours are allowed to inhabit. Uh, and this book says, fuck that. Um, 
Yeah, so I'm now I'll dive in. That was a lengthy preface. Um, I'm just going to begin with the first poem of the book because uh, it's a very good place to start uh, and also speaks to the Peter Pan reference I mentioned earlier. Um, this is called, I'm not necessarily saying it means anything, but the two VHS tapes I wore out as a child were the 1954 filmed stage production of Peter Pan starring Mary Martin and Shelley Duvall's fairy tale theater presents Pinocchio starring Paul Rubens. End of title. In one story, a not yet boy carved from wood. In the other, a forever boy crowed by a woman. In both stories, a father and a fairy. And I want this to be an ode to my wings. The ones I wore until the fabric yawned holes in its webbing while I sat cross-legged in front of the glowing screen. But we must first start with the theater magic the visible strings, the spark paper, the full-grown man in a crocodile suit and the full-grown woman playing Peter, the magic that showed its hand like a bold offer to believe anyway, my small hands feverishly believing even after the hundredth time the credits rolled. And I want this to be an ode to my wings, the ones I floated down the stairs in, one hand tracing the banister's backbone, the other holding tight to my glitter wand, but we must first start with the fathers. Geppetto, who wished upon a star for a son and was answered with deceitful driftwood. George Darling, who suspiciously resembles a one-handed pirate in act two, both fathers chasing after a boy until they find themselves in the belly of a metaphor made manifest by some water-borne beast. And I want this to be an ode to my wings, the ones some parent or other tossed without thinking to ask, figured I'd outgrown my childish defiance of gravity. And perhaps it was then, tink expiring in the background, my hands too busy tearing through my chest of toys for any way to get airborne, that the soft bark of my body realized the very strings Pinocchio was told kept him from becoming a real boy were the same ones that allowed Peter to fly. That to become a real boy meant snipping strings, clipping wings, walking down the stairs. A poem. Um, I had a friend recently tell me that on these, these virtual readings specifically, I have a bad habit of when I finish a poem, uh, saying a poem um, in the silence that follows because we're not live and I can't hear you or see you. Um, so in that awkward silence, I just go, a poem. Um, yeah, so I find it uh, I found it interesting. I was talking with some friends of mine who had read this poem and then also I was drafting it and did not realize that the 1954 film stage production of Peter Pan starring Mary Martin uh, and Shelley Duvall's fairy tale theater was such a touchstone for a lot of queer youth. <laughs> um, and I got to thinking why, why that was, uh, I mean, and not just for queer youth specifically, but I did, I find that I found that commonality. And I think it has to do with the idea of fairy tale, of, uh, of origin myth, um, of, of transmogrification, right? The, this, this idea of something extraordinary being birthed out of the banal, 
Uh, and that is really fucking queer, I think. Um, so uh, I'm going to read you now a, a poem from the book that is uh, like my own origin story, my own fairy tale that I wrote for, for myself. Um, uh, and this is called Once Upon a Time in Iowa. To be clear, this is a fairy tale, as in it happened long ago or out of time entirely, and it, it probably didn't go down exactly like this, but we tell the story anyway. Maybe we'll learn something. So, once upon a time in Iowa, a once upon a time boy lived locked away in a high tower or a state school's freshman residence hall occupied by trolls or the junior varsity lacrosse team when he met a warlock in a lecture hall. Turns out the warlock was the boy's TA for, let's say, history of magic or introduction to the English major, whatever. Cliff notes is the warlock was handsome and lived above a pizza shop, troll free. And the boy had been looking to magic himself into any body but his own, so he moved in. Problem was, the boy cried a lot. Something about a mother trapped in another dimension, a brother and sister made of glass, and the warlock loathed crying. But the boy could not stop. He would weep along the banks of the Iowa River, and as the bodies of dead swans caught in its current would wash ashore, frozen relics of flight, he would try to thaw them with his tears, wondered if these birds were once boys with warlocks of their own, learned a spell to keep from crying but didn't consider the cost, traded feeling for flying before flinging themselves over the edge of the Burlington Street Bridge. Why can't I ever remember what happened next? I remember the warlock left the boy for a centaur on the track team that definitely did not cry. I remember the boy tried to love a goat shepherd but couldn't. I remember the boy learned about white privilege in a class taught by a lesbian who wore dragon hide. There is a part of the story in which the boy lies about home so many times that all of his family photos erupt in flames. He eventually skipped town in a rusty chariot or a Subaru outback. There's never mention of a cornfield or a sunrise. I don't remember at what point the boy stopped crying or if he ever did. But in the end, I believe, the boy discovers some new magic or language, not powerful enough to bring any of the swans back to life but he grows his own feathers and survives it. A poem. Uh, yeah, um, that was about my very, very uh, brief time at the University of Iowa and Iowa City and also my own fairy tale. Um, I know I touched on it a little bit earlier uh, about perhaps my feelings regarding uh, the regional theater and theater at large uh, was responsibility um, to uh, maybe dedicate some of the energy they have put into being innovative programmers during the pandemic into servicing underrepresented and marginalized communities uh, when they return. Because the American theater, y'all, it is wildly fucking inaccessible, um, which 
the American theater is so masochistically entrenched in capitalism, which is very interesting as a queer theater maker, uh, because I believe my queerness to be inherently anti-capitalist. And so it stands to reason that my queerness is at odds with the American theater. Here's a short poem about that. It borrows a line from uh, the title from Shakespeare's As You Like It. The title being, all the world's a stage. But here, what is stage but another word for real estate? Our stories come with purse strings tied around their throats. The value of my voice always weighed against the willingness of others to pay the price of admission. What then, when even I cannot afford a ticket, must choose between the cost of living and the cost of being seen? It does not matter if we would line up around the block, if we cannot line producers' pockets. If all the world's a stage, it is housed within a theater that's marquee has never borne our names. Um, I have two more poems for y'all. Um, and I wanted to touch them on ethical pra uh, casting practices um, and regarding queer and trans folk um, in queer and trans roles. Um, and that is only cast queer and trans folk in queer and trans roles. That's the Cliff Notes version. I feel like every time we uh, see a straight actor uh, being cast in a, in a queer role, especially for a project that has a lot of press or, or reach into it, you know, big films, um, there's always this press that circulates being like, you know, is this okay? Should we still be doing this? Um, and I feel like the constant need to posit that question is maybe indicative of the fact that the answer is no. Um, and I can expound upon that later when we're in discussion, um, but uh, I'll just read this poem um, and I just have to find it because I don't know my own book that well. <laughs> Kidding. Okay, uh, great. This is called um, A Poem in Which the Academy Wishes to Nominate Me for Best Actor, but does not know which category to place my non-binary body in. It's important to note that in this film, I play a Jewish trans non-binary butch femme with a lot of student loan debt, eight roommates, horrible cuticles, who still manages to look pretty fucking cute, at least, you know, four days out of the week, which is an accomplishment. And that is right. It is a biopic. I wrote it, directed it, star in it as myself. Let's say Asia Kate Dillon produces a poem in which the Academy is forced to create new categories due to the ever-growing pool of queer talent who has always been here and is tired of your binary. Consequently, the Oscars telecast has been extended to seven hours, and you will sit, and you will watch, and you will like it, as every straight actor who has ever been awarded an Academy Award for playing a queer character is forced to present for categories such as Best Red Carpet Clapback When the Reporter from the E! Entertainment Network Misgenders You, Best I Swear to God If You Nominate Another Goddamn Sexual Predator for Another Goddamn Academy Award at Casey Affleck Not-So-Sub Subtweet, Best film in which the leading queer character miraculously does not die. A poem in which every actor who has been awarded an Academy Award for playing a queer character has been straight. A poem in which all but one of those queer characters does, in fact, die. And I get it. Our bodies are tragic. Our love is tragic. 
Our struggle is your selling point, your box office bait, your elevator pitch, crossfade to Benedict Cumberbatch crying at dead geniuses, queer tears. And I get it. I've had to play straight and cis before on stage, on film, in gas station parking lots, at my grandfather's funeral. I mean, hey, no one paid me, but at least I got to live. So forgive me, Hollywood, if when you say checked box, I hear unmarked grave. How brave to bear the lesson of someone else's death. So, glory to the queers who live to see the credits roll. Glory to the blockbusters that are not built upon a curb stomp, a poem in which I am neither a monster nor a martyr, in which no one is lauded for wearing my painted face, in which I get to play something other than all my collective queer loneliness wearing an ill-fitting dress, in which I get to star as myself and nothing bleeds but my lipstick. A poem in which we actually win. A poem in which I win for best trans non-binary actor in a film that features trans and gender non-conforming characters whose narratives extend beyond merely their gender expressions and sexualities and does not put queer martyrdom on a pedestal. And as I accept my award from Jared Leto, he remarks, that category is a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? And I say, yeah, and we are worthy of every hard fought word. A poem. Um, I just have one more for y'all. It's short. I feel like maybe I've gone over. What is time? It's an illusion. It's a construct like the binary. Um, so there's this thing happening that I have two, in the American theater that I'm of two minds of. Um, but for the most part, I'm happy to see it happening. And that is seeing uh, specifically musicals from the golden age, um, hot tickets, right? I'm thinking like Oklahoma. Uh, um, uh, why can I only think of Oklahoma right now? Um, but but uh, a carousel was just on Broadway, right? Um, in which we are seeing um, producers trying to queer the canon a little bit. Um, and, and, and also uh, cast um, non-traditionally uh, across race and ethnicity, um, making space for otherwise marginalized communities to uh, tell these stories and, and, and work, frankly. Um, and that is dope. And yet, I always would like to posit, uh, what would the landscape of the American theater look like if instead of asking queer folk and people of color and otherwise marginalized communities to lend their bodies and personhoods to the telling of stories of dead white men, um, what if instead of doing that, in stories that frankly did not make room for us in the first place or in many cases wished us dead, what if instead of that, we actually just invested in a new canon we just invested in the voices of those communities living and working today, telling new stories. Instead of asking us 
to make problematic material by dead white men more palatable for mainstream audiences by putting our bodies on stage to tell them because we think that those will be the shows that sell tickets. This last poem is called Rewrites. Romeo and Juliet, but this time, Juliet doesn't text back. Romeo embraces his bi curiosity. He and Mercutio kiss a lot, and no one advises a young girl to drink all of that NyQuil. Taming of the Shrew, but this time, no one is expected to belly laugh watching a man starve his wife. And in the end, our fierce femme protagonist pulls a pin out of her fascinator, stabs Petruchio, her so-called lover, in the neck, and goes on to star in the second season of Glow on Netflix. Hamlet. But this time, Hamlet is trans. A non-binary femme doing their makeup, asking themselves to be or not to be. Because what is sitting down at a vanity? and painting your hard face in its soft truth for the first time, if not interrogating your own mortality. And this time, the royal family invests in some really good grief counselors, and no one shames the young prince for crying, and the young prince doesn't gaslight their girlfriend, and no one dresses for their daughter's funeral because no one drowns, because no one is stabbed, because no one has to die for us to learn what love is. You and I, but this time, we will not define our worth by how well our bodies retell someone else's story. And we laugh until we cry, and we cry until we laugh because the binary of comedy and tragedy, like all binaries, cannot hold us. And I'm not afraid to be femme, and you are not afraid to text back, and we throw a funeral for shame, and we drown in stars, and in the end, we glow every second of every season. A poem. Thank you. Hey, applause, 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 applause. I know. I was just like, when you had first started talking about like, oh, it's silent here during our virtual, um, you know, readings. I was like, oh, wait till you finish your last poem and you're just going to get this down. <laughs> I <place."> love it. <laughs> we oh, making wow. it work that in was... the virtual world. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You have you, you, Innovation. I appreciate it. <laughs> Oh man, it was great. That was that was so great. I I really appreciate it. I um definitely was like nerding out. I was like, oh, this is gonna be great conversations. Um, <laughs> I, like <laughs> I love Shakespeare. Um, you know, I think we briefly talked about it. How Shakespeare is definitely queer in so many yeah. ways. Even like the actors that had to pay, play these multiple roles and multiple genders. Um, you know, we can go right into it because, you know, As You Like It is probably one of my, also my, one of my um, favorite plays. Uh, it is yeah. definitely, definitely queer in so many different levels. Um, you know, and even to the point that when you were talking about Oklahoma and how they changed the characters, I was like, I understand the reference because I actually saw that play. I actually <laughs> yeah. saw that play in New York. Yeah. Uh, that was a dope production. Oh my God, it was an amazing production, amazing production, you know, and definitely, um, you know, thinking about what that looked like, um, 
with a different race and like how they made it really somber and how they brought in so many different characters for, di you know, we could say diversity. Um, and then I don't know if y'all know, but my, my students, uh, my students are predominantly students of color, right? From like the city. Um, and so to take these, our students to these productions, it's also like this conversation about how do we make it affordable? How do we make Broadway affordable? So oh, those are little snippets of what I want to talk about, but I'm so excited. <laughs> Where to yeah. start? Where to start? Yeah, I know. Let's um all right, let let's let's start in theater then, since you know, like we're 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 on this bandwagon anyway. Uh mm -hmm. you bring up such such a great point about the the accessibility of theater uh yeah. and how it is widely, highly inaccessible uh for people to to watch and oftentimes also for people to to put on is ridiculously expensive for you to produce your own show. Yeah. Um, so let's just let's just start there because, like, on one side, you know, like as as a working artist, I'm like, I want my work, I want everyone to have access to my work. You know, I want to share it with the world. But on the other side, I, I want to eat also. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so real. where where are we in that in that? Yeah, I mean, I think. I mean, I, I, talk, I talked about how I, I believe at times or feel at times rather, both being true, um, that like my queerness feels at odds with the American theater because mm -hmm. it, it, it's anti-capitalist. And, and having to engage in, in this model, which I have to actively forgive myself in order to work, right? And, and finding ways in which you can try to dismantle the system by working the system and i and i know that uh i i am on more more days than i'm not i'm like burn it down start new right um but having to be able to also reason with myself how to how to be sustainable within that sentiment um so i i think it's we're, we're seeing we're seeing a lot of different models but at the end of the day uh a lot of a lot of those models are contingent upon like individual benefactors, mm -hmm. which is not a long term solution. Right. Um, and I'm not a politician, you know, like uh, I'm, I'm an artist. And 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 really, there's a lot there's an onus on on, on the country to to value its artists in a way mm -hmm. in which we can be sustained long term. I mean, the. That happened with the New Deal with FDR, you know, and it needs to it needs to happen again, frankly, um, because it's interesting in in undergraduate school when you go into this profession. I, I mean, my my undergraduate studies were in acting theater. Um, it gets touted all the time by educators, like if you can do anything else, do that. Which <laughs> instead of instead of going into the arts, which is often posited as a sort of like self care mantra, but really what they're saying is you understand that by engaging in this career, you are going to be asked to co-sign to a toxic model that will pit you against the very peers you're meant to collaborate with due to a scarcity model imposed by a a government that doesn't value its artists. Mm -hmm. You sure you want to do that? Like that's what they're asking you. Or, um, so yeah, yeah and I, that's where we're at. 
And and I think especially like considering this past year, like we've uh, a lot of people have really like discovered how important the arts are because it's like when we were quarantined and we're at home, like what got you through it? TV, music, yeah. film, books, the the arts. It's the arts. like kept you sane. It so is. yeah, right. let's let's value artists just a little bit more, shall we? A little bit more, and then also like not worship at the altar of celebrity. Mm. And 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 because. And the reason I offer that as as sort of a, a footnote to this conversation is I think there's a lot of misconception about what working artists' goal is, uh, goals are rather, right? You know, we're not all seeking stardom and fortune. We're seeking to enrich the communities with which we interact with. We want to be storytellers. We want to impart empathic reasoning. We want to better our communities, right? Um, yeah, so that, that too. Yeah, no, I definitely, oof. it's just, so when you're talking about even like the system, right? Because again, it is always just like capitalism is always the forefront, especially in US government, right? And it's so hard to like really withdraw yourself from capitalism and still try to get paid, right? Cause you're like, mm -hmm. I'm still trying to live. Um, I mean, I know that you, um, I, I love that. I love that point that your queerness is in like contrast and always in with capitalism because it is true. Like to be queer is to be othered. It's to be it's to be against like hegemony, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I you know you were talking about like some ways, but can you go a little bit more about um, you know how have you and your other queer community really kind of pushed against that capitalism or really pushed against? Um, I guess this hegemony of what the theater art should be. Yeah, I, I think the the work that I've been able to do in in small doses over the past few years in in my work in in regional theater, which again, so to be clear, regional theater specifically, and it, you we think of Broadway, right? It's incredibly mm -hmm. special. That is that is the nature of that beast. Um, mm -hmm. a, but a lot of regional theaters, again, because they don't receive this sort of the funding that they need to, to operate, right? Um, are also, for the majority, producing on a deficit as is. Um, so they're always thinking about the dollar, the bottom line, um, as, a, as a means of survival. They, they are having to combat that as well as institutions in addition to the individual artists they're hiring. So when I'm on board to an institution like that, I'm just, I'm trying to be as vocal an advocate I can be for prioritizing community in programming mm. in hopes that that institutions that have for so long have felt beholden to chasing a bottom line actually realize that community-centered programming is more beneficial towards that bottom line and enriching the communities that they hope to serve, right? Um, so, I it is it is no it is no one's um, responsibility or job mm -hmm. to show up to a community or an institution and make uh, their otherness as known or vocal as possible. Um, but that is something that I 
enjoy and take upon as a responsibility. I walk into these PWIs, I walk into these largely straight cis spaces, and I'm like, I am here and I'm very queer and I'm very trans, and I would love to plug myself into your queer and trans communities here and get them into your space, regardless of whether or not the programming that I will be doing there centers those experiences. Like, let it be known that you're hiring trans artists mm -hmm. and that you, you know, yeah. So there's there's that. That was a long answer, but yeah. no, that was great. That was great. There's no long answers here. We're all here to listen. No. It is your answer, essentially, whatever it is. Uh, so I want to dive in uh, about you specifically before we go back and talk about you know the theater community and and yeah. and the roles that they play and how they can be better. Uh, you're very open about being trans non-binary. Sure. It's in your bio. You've got plenty of uh, poems that talk about the subject, you know, and we have people that watch and listen to the show from all types of backgrounds. So for anyone who doesn't understand what that is, can you talk a little bit about what that identity of trans non-binary means to you specifically? I'm not asking you to talk about for the community at large. A hundred percent, yeah. So yeah, to, to, to echo, echo the sentiment that you just stated, Chibi, is that obviously trans folk are not monoliths, right? We all, we all have our own lived experiences and, and, and arrive at our transness and our gender identity in a myriad of ways, all of which are valid. Um, so f for me, um, I, when I was in, uh, God, the, when I was on my poetry tour, uh, my first year out of undergraduate college, um, it, it, through a series of circumstances, for the lack of a better word, some work that I had um, that was receiving a lot of notice, it was really the first time in my life, even as someone who had, at that time was 23 or so, that I was being asked a lot to engage with my gender uh, and the way in which I was my gender was received and perceived by others. Mm. Um, and I found myself, uh, I mean, this is, this is because of the poem people you may know. Um, uh, and it was, it, it was a poem about uh, my experience as a survivor of sexual violence. Um, and uh, it was being upheld as this piece on male survivorship. Um, mm. uh, a, a, a man's point of view um, and keep in, in, Keep in mind that the poem, with the exception of someone who looks and sounds like me reading the poem, has it has one word in the entire three and a half minute poem. The word boy appears once. And other than that, is not gendered, right? It, it doesn't speak to a gendered experience beyond that word boy. Um, and I found myself, this poem being upheld as this piece uh, from a male, a man's perspective, and all, all these people who, you know, who frankly did not know me, uh, labeling me as such, and began to feel like a, a real dissonance um, with, with how constantly and uh, publicly I was being defined as such and perceived as such. Um, and so I was like, oh yeah, I'm not a man. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not a man, uh, I'm non-binary, which uh, I mean, again, can mean many things to many people. Um, but for me means that I, I don't identify along the binary as either a man nor a woman. Um, and uh, I, I also think of myself as trans under the trans umbrella um, because you know I'm not what 
I have been assigned at, as birth, nor what I'm largely perceived as when walking through the world. Um, and yeah, so that's me. I'm Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Kevin, and I will. Uh, I my gender is what I want it to be on any in any given moment. Yeah. No, yeah. I definitely think that you know our society really wants to disregard. Um, you know, queerness when it comes to like sexual assault, right? Or domestic violence or intimate partner violence, right? They always yeah. see it so gendered. And then they forget that same sex couples or queer people can also be affected by this, you know? Yeah. Um, so I really appreciate that work. And, you know, since we're on the subject, you know, I know a lot of, number of your poems in your book talk about sexual assault or and, and rape and, um, and you being a survivor, right? Um, so this country has a lot to do to dismantle um, rape culture and destigmatize um, survivorship, right? I feel like, mm -hmm. especially when you think about survivor, they think of them of like weak or they're usually women and it could be again, all genders. Um, and like, where are you in that process? And you, were, I know you spoke a little bit about that, but if you wanna share, we would, I think that'd be great. Yeah, I, I think, um, so, there's, there's, I mean, there's so many avenues that I could travel down with that, but I'll mention one thing that's specific to the book and then one thing that I sort of just think generally um, <laughs> amongst the many things. And, and, and the, the one thing is that I hope, um, my hope is that we, we, we start distancing ourselves sort of to what you spoke to Rocky, which is distancing ourselves from this, from the narrative or even like iconography of, of what it means to be of the perfect survivor or the yeah. ideal survivor. Um, one that is, that is uh, whose survivorship, there's no way to do it correctly, you know? Um, and I think that that is what's often um, touted. Um, uh, and, and to that end also, what it has to do with the book um, is that I have poems in this book about my experience with rape culture and survivorship alongside poems about my sex and my sexuality. Mm -hmm. And that was very important for me to have those in conversation, um, horny poems, you know, uh, because I think for a very long time when I was doing sets, when I was speaking about rape culture and survivorship, there felt like this tension, this unease, this incongruity in allowing myself to celebrate my sexuality and my mm -hmm. sex in conversation with the fact that I was a survivor of sexual violence. Um, and I, I think that very often we do, uh, the culture, rape culture works to rob survivors of their sexuality and their sex mm -hmm. um, because the second that we talk about those facets of our personhood, um, the conversation is immediately, well, if you are promiscuous, if you yes. are, you know, again, it's it's the, it's the tried and true line of they were asking for it, right? That sort of shit. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I, it was very important for me to put horny poems in my book. That's why there are horny poems in the book. <laughs> no, I, I, love that. I love that. It's basically like almost rec reclaiming, right? That like you again have agency within your own sex and how you want to have it, right? And 100%. you putting in in there is a way of consent and a way of 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 so you know showing that. So you know, um, you know, this has always been a hard topic, and I 
I appreciate it because it is language is so important, right? When it comes to survivors, um, you know, and always believing them first, right? Never asking like, what did you do? It's just like, you always have to believe them, right? Mm -hmm. Straight off, you know? So I, I wanna say thank you. Thank you so mm -hmm. much. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about the, the book. Um, Thing, uh, that Ooh. you're reading from ding right because you've been in you've been in the poetry world uh for a while you started as a youth poet yeah. uh then competed in cupsy which is the collegiate university poetry slam something or other yeah. uh and and continued yeah something like that we're close uh and then continued into your adulthood have continued you said you know like you toured as a poet for a while so you've been doing it for a while this is your first uh, this is your debut collection of poems. What was the process of putting this book together? You've talked a little bit about it, but uh, can you tell us some more? Yeah, absolutely. So um, there are there are some there are poems in this collection that span years. Some that were as you know as recent as uh, like when the final draft went out about a year ago, um, and then some that are from my earlier days of writing that I, of course, revisited and rewrote and, and found space for them in the collection. Um, but the process of writing this book, I, I was at, I was at, at the Actors Theater of Louisville, where I was an acting apprentice. Um, and they are, they're the home to the Humana Festival of New American Plays, which is, it, it's the largest new play festival in the country. Um, and, and I was an acting apprentice among 20. Um, and by some statistic anomaly among 20 actors, um, there was only two at the time uh, openly identifying queer folk in that group. Uh, <laughs> me me and, and uh, a good friend of mine, Reagan, who's a lesbian. Um, and, and we were like, what has happened here? Where, where are all the queer people? <laughs> like, um, and, and I was in Kentucky, mind you. And it was a hard year. And um, I remember in rehearsal for A Christmas Carol during the election um, of 2016. So <clears throat> really trying times. Yeah. Um, I wrote the very first poem or the titular poem from this book, Please Come Off Book. I wrote because I, I, was, I was feeling really, really invisible, um, especially in my gender identity, especially in a new city where my job was quite literally uh, to go to work to every day and experience um, cis folk tell me what stories they thought I was capable of telling. Mm. Um, and so I was like, I, this, is the, this, this is what the manuscript wants to be. It wants to be in, in response, in conversation with my work as an actor. Mm -hmm. um, and so I began working on the manuscript and it, and then, and then, uh, so it was, I had already banged out a quite a bit of it. I would write it when I was in rehearsals, touring, uh, not touring, when I was in rehearsals on contract at regional theaters throughout the company. Um, and I had, Button had asked for a work sample and, and that, and then they were like, yeah, do that. And I was like, great, I'll do it. <laughs> well, congratulations. It's a phenomenal fucking book. Uh, I think everyone needs to get a copy of it and read it. Uh, but yeah, congr I, I didn't know I needed it. 
I, I, it was a it, it was a beautiful day yesterday. I sat out on the back porch and I just and I just consumed it cover to cover. And when I finished, I was like, I needed that, and I didn't know I needed it. Hey, thanks. <laughs> you know, now that we're you know going back onto your you know subject of your book. Let's go into these like mythical creatures, right? That yes. we're like this. Yes. <laughs> I'm so excited. Um, yeah. So, you know, in your book, you know, you mentioned mythology and fairy tales as a way to tell your story, you know, um, like doing a character story of in Kiju, right? Okay. And then <laughs> Medea says and Oedipusy, right? Yes. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, and then we can even talk about, you know, Peter Pan, um, you know, in your book. As yeah. Well. yeah, let's go for it. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I drew a lot. Obviously, I, I was uh, drew a lot upon canonical theater. So we have Shakespeare in there. We also we also have um, some Grecian work, uh, you know, Oedipusy. <laughs> um, uh, and Oedipusy, of course, being or Oedipus rather being uh you know, the, the, this man unknowingly killing his father and sleeping with his mother, marrying his mother. Um, so Oedipus being a poem about uh, like daddy kinks, so essentially fucking your dad. And then um, uh, me being concerned about my mother's reaction to me coming out, killing my mother, right? So like, you know, inverting, in, in, in queering and inverting sort of canonical classics. Um, and Enkidu is also a creation myth. Um, well, uh, it's from the Epic of Gilgamesh, which mm -hmm. is credited as being the, the first story ever written down in ancient Sumerian. But it's also drawn upon, a. Uh, it really relates back to my work in the theater because uh, a playwright who I love, Jen Silverman, um, whose debut novel just came out, which is also about theater, uh, which is called <laughs> We Play Ourselves, which is an incredible mm -hmm. novel. Um, she wrote a play about the Gilgamesh myth in which I played, I was, I was in this, the world premiere of this play that she wrote. Um, and I loved this idea of, you know, it's just, again, a story of archetypes, like the, a hero uh, and, and a monster and a sidekick. And, and when the hero fucks up, he is punished by the gods killing his friend, right? Like he doesn't, he only learns by the death of someone else, which again, just relates to how the to, uh, casting practices of queer folk in TV and film. Like it's all like really interstitially related in, in bizarre ways. Um, yeah, I'm really drawn to creation myths and magic, magic, theater magic. That's, that's the theater that I love is theater that employs magic because if it's not, Theater magic is what makes makes sure that theater demands for it to be a shared live experience. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I'm watching a TV show, right? Mm -hmm. I I want something like you know the visible strings, the spark paper on stage, you know, a moment where suddenly like it's it's raining inside or petals are falling from the sky, right? Something that is ma magical um, is what why I love theater, why I think it is this, like the, the mode of storytelling I, I, I love so much and why I wanted to write a book of poetry about it. 
love that. And I love that you bring up the the subject of like archetypes, right? Because like these archetypes in in literature are so important to learn uh, because they are something as a vehicle that you can use to to tell a story. But then on the flip side of that, you can also use these archetypes to dismantle archetypes and to dismantle yes. what's like currently there, right? Because uh, you can flip these archetypes on their head. So let's let's dive further into the dismantling of the system and talk about, you know, like what you've talked a little bit about equitable practices in theater casting and film casting, right? So like the visibility of trans and non-binary individuals, uh, especially in theater, TV and film has been growing, right? Yes. Uh, there were some well-known figures like Chaz Bono, uh, Laverne Cox, you know, the third season of Pose just started, that's got mm -hmm. MJ Rodriguez, India Moore, uh, just to name a few. Um, and then recently, Elliot Page just came out as trans, um, which obviously happened like long after they had achieved fame, right? So it yes. wasn't like some of these individuals that happened, like they were presented to the world as trans and we just moved forward, right? Mm -hmm. So like, where do you think the world of theater, TV, film needs to be going as more trans and non-binary actors come out and are accepted, right? Yeah, uh, so... <laughs> This may not surprise you based on the sort of responses I've been giving thus far this evening, but this is something that I, I could quite really talk about forever. Um, <laughs> so I will do my best to keep it coherent and concise, um, and I will fail. Uh, so <laughs> it's your interview. This is your show. You. Yeah. Wherever you want to go. Um, so what I will say is that yes to everything you said in regards to the progress we are seeing being made. And um, and adding to that, that there is obviously still a lot of work to be done and that we cannot get complacent in the, uh, like the sort of spotlighted successes that we see in the industry because it is not indicative of the industry as a, as a whole. Yeah. Um, and, and more specifically, I think in regional theater and on Broadway, um, it, it is behind film and TV. Um, and film and TV is also like, isn't, I would say in a great stature of a place. And to expound upon that is that the, uh, what I want to retire from our vernacular when having these conversations is the conversation about, or, or, or rather the line that is said, well, just it's acting, best actor for the role, right? So if that means a straight person playing a queer person or a cis person playing a trans person, it's acting. It's about it's about like you know reflecting your lived experience through the lens of a character to tell a story. I'm like, yeah, that's acting. Um, but everything that you just said centers white supremacy and heteropatriarchy because you you can't we we do not live or tell stories within a vacuum um, and there's a difference between representation, visibility, and liberation. And the first one being visibility, right? Um, you put trans people on stage or on screen, they're visible. That's a really low bar, mm -hmm. trans visibility. Representation means you would actually have to have queer trans people playing queer and trans roles. Otherwise, I watch 90 minutes of Army Hammer and Timothy Chalamet giggling about beard burn when having to make out for Call Me 
by your name instead of watching two actual queer people discuss the nuances of bringing a queer character to life through their own lived experiences. As a queer person, as a trans person, I deserve to see actual queer and trans people thrive, not just queer and trans characters thrive in the fictions we tell about them. That's not enough. That's just representation. Then there's liberation, which is what we should really be after. How do the projects that we are programming, centering marginalized communities, queer and trans people, communities of color, are actively working to liberate those communities, not just watching ourselves on tell. I mean, it is representation is important. It can change lives, right? Mm -hmm. But how do we make our art more actionable to liberate the communities that we are claiming to represent? Um, yeah. Where do I sign? <laughs> right. <laughs> no. And 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 frankly, also, it's like these big projects, but there's a lot of money. There's a lot of fucking money. You know, and why the fuck should a straight cis actor be financially profiting on the trafficking of a queer trans narrative that is often, frankly, also centered in trauma? Mm -hmm. So many of these trans, uh, so many trans stories that we see are all about pre and post disclosure narratives, mm -hmm. not about like, I don't know, like a human being. Um, and that's difficult to watch. And I also want to, this is a sort of a sidebar, um, but I feel it's important to plug also, because I love and celebrate and value all of those actors that you just mentioned. Um, and I thank them. And I want to make it very clear to anyone who may be watching that this sentiment does not detract from that, but also largely Hollywood specifically has lifted up and valued trans folk who adhere to cis heteropatriarchal beauty standards. Mm -hmm. There is no right way to be trans or gender expansive. Um, and the more and more stories that we tell about that community, I hope we are able to see the breadth of expression that exists within that community so that we, that so cis people, folks that are, don't know trans folks, um, do not become ill-informed about what, uh, or, 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 and begin to think that there is a right way to be trans or to look trans. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll just say that as well. No, I think that's great. <laughs> no, I, I think like these are very important questions and important like ways mm -hmm. to challenge this like the discourse around. Um, you know, trans actors, uh, you know, I always think about Pose, right? And how Pose is so, for me, like groundbreaking not to see just trans women, but multiple trans women. I think this is probably one of the first shows like um, on FX that showcased multiple talented um, black and brown, you know, Latina and, and black um, and Afro-Latina um, trans women, right? Mm -hmm. And it is a phenomenal storytelling. And, you know, even throughout this conversation, when you talk about, you know, being queer, I think you definitely use queer and surviving synonymous and that it's always been our narrative, right? To be queer is to survive. It's never, mm -hmm. you know, we want to thrive, but people always want to put us in this like survival narrative. Um, and Pose like kind of does that um, yeah. sometimes. 
and um, and it's always just so disheartening that they are brown groundbreaking and they're still not nominated. They're still not getting the awards. Like Billy Porter, who is a phenomenal, you know, phenomenal actor, you know, and also just like pushes the gender, um, the gender um, binary uh, with his 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 roles and his like um, and his wardrobe. He doesn't. <sighs> it's it's still very sad that they're. Like you said, they're getting the visibility. There's there's representation, but there's they're still not getting acknowledged that liberation to really be you know to be accepted. It's still always just gatekeeping. So I, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, and, and plenty of work to continue to be doing. And you know, I really acknowledge the work that that you're doing, uh, and just the the platform that we try to provide to make sure that like. All, all people in marginalized communities and everywhere have a platform to share their voice and their ideas, right? And their their words, you know? So like, I wanna talk about the the words, the yeah. language for a bit, uh, cause you, you brought it up earlier uh, in your poem, uh, People You May Know, right? You know, we've talked about gendered language on this show before, mostly because both of us are of the Latina background. So like Spanish is a very gendered language. Um, how have you worked to kind of unhinge gender from language to be able to create this non-binary speaker in a poem? Yeah, absolutely. So my, the, the, book, the book is split up into five parts, um, uh, sort of outlined by <laughs> the Aristotelian dramatic structure, which is like, whatever. Um, but, and, and so there were times in which I, I wanted to be in conversation with a, a journey of gender identity. Mm -hmm. um, because there's also a thing in, in Aristotle in regards to the hero's journey. Um, I'm pretty sure it's Aristotle. Um, but this speaks a little bit to what I said about how there's so many um, trans narratives that are, are about pre and post disclosure um, and, and very little that explore uh, the, the median, um, the space between um, the journey to oneself and 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 one's where one feels most comfortable, and also I'm not in any way trying to shy away from the fact that like I was very much socialized as a boy growing up. Like I mm -hmm. I, I feel the phantom limb of boyhood in my non-binary, mm -hmm. in my transness, and that shows up a lot in writing about my childhood. When when writing about, in hindsight, what it meant to. To, to what I realize now to be perceived as a boy um, and how I often felt like I failed boyhood. Uh, and so I, I refer, the speaker in my poems often refers to their boyhood, to boyness, uh, uses the word boy quite a lot. Um, and I actually find, I feel like a lot of queer AMAB poets, I see uh, have have a relationship with the word boy um because i feel like there's a tenuous relationship there of having feeling like you, you're failing gender as as a child um and you know so while I, I have never felt like a man i have no connection to the word man um 
I, I do. I feel a phantom limb of, of boyhood. Uh, and so that that word specifically is the word I think that is uh, that carries the most gendered weight throughout my work. No, I like that. I like the term phantom limb, like boyhood. That is such a good way to to frame it. You know. Um, go ahead, Jibi. I think you were going to wanted to say something. There. Okay. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was just sighing. I was just taking it all in. <laughs> all right, all right. I think we, you know, we we still have some little more time. You know. Um, I kind of want to just like switch over, you know, still we're talking in the frame of like queerness and um, and really pushing and challenging these notions of like, what is the binary, right? Because I've been dying to talk Shakespeare with you. Let's talk Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> Go get geeky. Yes. Well, I mean, this is, this is obviously a Hamlet reference um, yes. by, by non-binary artist Robert Martin, who's incredible. You should all follow them on Instagram, Robert Martin. Um, yeah, but they do that for me. Shakespeare. Um, it's great, great. Because, you know, you, you mentioned for, in two poems, you know, that you read for us today, um, you know, Shakespeare, especially like As You Like It, um, mm -hmm. you know, and all were, you know, all the words, were, worlds of stage. Um, you know, do you have like, uh, a connection to that one or because I I also then I want to talk to like about Romeo and Juliet because I for sure think that Mercutio is 100% gay especially gay for Romeo like Queen his Queen Queen Mab speech is all about how he just wants to fuck Ro Romeo and have Romeo's you, like <laughs> let me just say having played Mercutio I don't think he's gay I think he is open okay he oh. I don't think he, he has a preference he's like whatever bring it to me 100% <laughs> yeah, so talk about these characters and like who do you yeah. like, talk to? So I I love Shakespeare. Um and and it's 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 difficult sometimes to love Shakespeare as someone who works in this industry uh because I think um it's it's so popular and so often programmed because it's free to program, which is important yeah. part of the public domain. Yes. Um, yeah. But like sometimes I'm I, I'm always harking back to I'm like y'all. I love it. The poetry is brilliant. We cannot idolize it to the degree in which we do in the American theater. So with that being said, Shakespeare is gay, and if your Shakespeare is not gay, I don't want to watch it. Um, and, <laughs> And, and, and that is someone coming is coming from someone who loves Shakespeare. I mean, the poetry is just, I mean, it's, it's fucking incredible. Um, and so I also think like whenever I see a production of uh, either As You Like It or Twelfth Night, it does not lean into either the queerness or transness yes. of those class yes. roles. I'm like, did we read the same play? Yeah. Like. And and I know, of course, I'm I can, I'm always bringing my own lens to it. I you know, and I'm I am bringing a sort of a contemporary lens as well, in addition to a queer one. Um, but like on paper, I'm like these men fell in love with these women in drag. Yes, they fell in love with these young boys, and yes. these characters also fell in love with not only these men but themselves while in male drag. Yes. I'm like, this is gay. It's also trans. Like, what are we doing? Like, I, like, um, 
And so, I mean, I am, I, I'm actually partial to the tragedies because I love drama. Um, <laughs> and Yeah, don't say. Right, no, I, I, lo I love the drama. Uh, but again, these comedies, I'm like, if you're not, if, if you're not really leaning into the queerness, I'm like, I, I don't know what you're doing. Um, I want to play, I want to do a production of Shakespeare in which me and another trans non-binary actor alternate Hamlet and Ophelia every mm. night. I want that very, very badly. Um, yeah. Hey, no. I, I, I said it at the beginning. I, I, I think you would make a phenomenal Ophelia, so. No. I think that's great though, because I know that you're talking about, you know, as you, as you like it, it's not only just, you know, it is when you talk about like transness, right? As you like it is probably one of the ones that you think about. And if you add the other layer of when during Shakespeare times, it was like Rosalind was played by a boy, right? Who's yeah. playing a girl, who's playing a boy, who right. plays a girl to to get the it's girl. Guy. Fuckery. <laughs> right. It's all it's all wild. And and also with Rosalind in particular, what always what always makes me sad about as you like it is the epilogue. Yeah. Like the epilogue. Yes. You know, she comes back out mm -hmm. and and is back is like in her wedding dress and and there's just there's just some lines at the end of a, a Twelfth Night like when Orsino now I'm talking about Shakespeare but uh, right. that's why we said we have time for Shakespeare right <laughs> Orsino realizes or it's revealed that Cesario Viola has been in disguise the whole time mm -hmm. and they're about to embrace they you know they're gonna get married now and like before they can like make out. He's like, whoa, 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 let's wait till you put your women's clothes back on. And I'm like, what the fuck is that? Like, <laughs> no, you've been hot for this boy for three and a half acts. Yes. And now you're like so relieved that to find out, oh no, it's, you know, like my attraction isn't unfounded because it was a woman all along. I'm like, no, don't lean into that shit. Kiss that boy. <laughs> Kiss that boy. So true. Um, yeah. No, great, thank you. Yeah, if you didn't, for the audience, if you didn't know, again, we're out here. Shakespeare is queer. Shakespeare. It is. <laughs> I, I love what you said. Let's just lean into the queerness to uh, quote Allen Ginsberg. I'm putting my queer shoulder to the wheel. Let's just fucking do it. So um, thank you. Thank you for this conversation. This is, again, just like the book, I didn't know I needed this conversation, but I think we all needed this conversation. Um, I, you know what? I I was gonna pivot, but let me take a question from the audience because I see it coming through. Um, I've watched your material for years. I've been influenced by your poetry performances, and I was there when you featured at Right About Now. I've seen you be strategically sarcastic, harrowing, serious. But what are your comedic influences? What are my comedic influences? Um. Uh, that's it. First of all, shout out to Juan. Shout out to Right About Now. Um, uh, my comedic influences. Um, I. This 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 is going to make no sense. Maybe. Um, <laughs> I just always pretend like I'm flirting. Mm -hmm. Like that's like I. That's when I find like. Uh, that I am the most like on, at least in regards to humor. It's just like, pretend like you're flirting. Like I, I really love flirting. I, I, and it's confused some friends of mine and I apologize to them, but I just want to, you know, like, so 
I don't know if that's the right answer, but like to me, flirting and like uh, being performed, like that's very funny to me. Like I think like the, the uh, like earnest flirting, earnest courtship is to me so awkward. I just want to make a joke out of all of it. Um, <laughs> I don't know what that would, what that, that boils down to influences. I can't think of like individuals. Um, David San Miguel, who I went to college with and is someone I haven't seen in maybe a decade, uh, is a comedic influence of mine um, because I think he did the same thing. There you go. Lachelle says, yes, right answer. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, again, thank you so much for this conversation. It's been really absolutely uplifting and inspiring. Um, and we've just loved having you on the show to to share a little bit about yourself and your thoughts uh, and uh, the, the world as it should be. Um, so with that being said, can you please close this out with just one more poem? Yes, absolutely. Um, I'm going to read... Um, I, I wasn't sure which one I wanted to do, but I'm going to do this one because um, it's relatively short and it is uh, speaks to what we talked about, about the word boy um, and that. So this is called, uh, I go to see a play about competitive air guitar and wind up feeling seasick. The boys are playing something on vinyl, something their fathers might call classic something they likely heard for the first time from the back seat of the family car. One of the boys wears his grandfather's old fishing jacket and the other a new pair of boat shoes, his feet carving soft grooves in the damp carpet of his basement bedroom. Whenever I see a boat being dragged behind a truck across Colorado, I must remind my reactionary eye roll that I do not resent all men who own boats. I resent my father. And I suspect there is a certain difference. Though I think in all likelihood, I would resent most men who own boats who live in landlocked states. Because why? The boy swimming in his grandfather's fishing jacket says something about the Boy Scouts and shoots me a look like he can hear all of my knots tightening. The boy in the boat shoes passes me the bong and asks me to choose the next song. I instantly regret putting on Bohemian Rhapsody because now the boys are playing air guitar and I never learned how to play air guitar. No one wanted to pay for the lessons, I guess. My father could not afford to imagine me unmuted. The boys fret the empty air between their hands with the practiced specificity, as if stringing together a chorus of boyhood memories, strumming to the rhythm of an imagined dashboard downbeat. As a boy, I must have never made any music I could actually hold on to, or my music is docked somewhere, tied down by hands that had practice keeping ballads at bay. A poem. Thank you all so much. A whole night of poems. Woo! We did it. Thank you, thank you. We did do it, goddammit. And we like y'all, 
Y'all, if you could see the way that poem is formatted on the, it, it's it's a sexy poem, y'all. It's a it's boat. Sexy. It's a boat. It's a boat tied a boat. to a duck. Tied to a duck. That'll wait till you watch. Yes. Yes. Um, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I know we've had it displayed on the screen, but for anybody that is listening to this show in the future, please tell them where can people find you? Where can people find their work, your work uh, and all of that fun stuff? Yes, absolutely. So I am on both Instagram and Twitter at Kevin underscore Cantor. Um, and you can find my book where all books are sold, but of course we should support independent presses. So it's also available at buttonpoetry.com. Um, and yeah, that, you know, buy a book, uh, shout out the book. Um, yeah, that's, that's how you can support me. I just moved to Chicago. Um, you know, reading poems on the internet. So come hang out. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Go for it. Support the artist. Support the artist. Please go uh, support the artist and buy this book because you need it in your life. Um, And we needed this conversation. So thank you again for joining us, Kevin. Thank you so much. Thank you, Trivia. Thank you, Marty. Thanks. What a great, great um, episode. That was. So informative. Um, so much to diverge, you know, divulge. Um, and <laughs> I do. I think that was like so. I'm having a great time. Sorry. I'm also. I'm also just like living in the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I I can Sorry, see. I just I. That's fine. That I think that's part of it. Is like one. I feel hella queer right now. Uh, yeah. Hella informed. Hella inspired. And yeah, just like taking it all in, you know. I think that's 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 a big part of tonight's conversation. Was it's like let 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 me just soak, let me sponge everything that is being put out there because uh, it felt fantastic. And again, uh, love to diving into all these questions and queries, uh, pun intended, uh, about the state of the arts uh, in terms, especially when it comes to visibility of queer folk, trans, non-binary people. Um, Lachelle says she can't wait to show Mia her 13-year-old this episode. Please do. I I love Mia. Mia's the sweetest. Oh, man. Uh, but no, I definitely feel the same sentiment about like feeling, you know, talking about this queerness and then, you know, in the arts and everything, because I don't really think people understand how queer the arts can be, you know, the, how is, queer the arts are, are and have yeah, been. They really are from the very beginning, you know, like from Shakespeare to even, you know, even before then, you know, Greek um, mythology. Lots of queerness going on in Greek mythology. (laughs) So yeah, like forget it, or just like not only queerness but transness too, and how like you know talking about Greek mythology or any type of mythology back in the day that gender didn't even really exist. So it was great. I feel very empowered. I know that you feel very empowered. Um, So I I think this was a great conversation just to be just. The visibility, you know, Mm -hmm. and also going towards that liberation that Kevin was talking about. Absolutely. Let's go ahead and thank some people so I can go be hella queer and liberated with my husband. So 
I want to thank the audience, as always, for tuning in. You are a phenomenal and integral part of the show. Thank you for your questions, your comments. Uh, we really appreciate you being here. And even if uh, you're not watching live, if you're listening to this or watching it afterwards, we still appreciate you. Thank you. And thank you to our production assistant, Dominique, taking care of it in the background. And to Chris Condé, speaking of other non-binary artists who are doing the work out there, they uh, produced our theme music. So thank you to them. And then if you're not following us, or if you are, thank you. Follow us on IG and Twitter at Words and Shh. You can see it at our little banner right there. For those who are listening, it's Words and Shh. Um, definitely give us a follow. Um, tell your friends to follow us. Tell your mom to follow us. Tell your like kids to follow us. Uh, we are great overall. And whether it's your first time joining us or whether you've been here before, know that you can always catch past episodes if you missed any on our YouTube channel um, or wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you write, subscribe, rate, review, like, all of that fun stuff. Uh, but if you do want to catch us live next week. Yeah, if you want to catch us live next week, please come back same time, same place, whatever platform you're on. If you're on Facebook Live, YouTube Live. Um definitely if you're on one if i'll write about um art right i'll write our out right now um our next feature on may 13th is none other than buddy wakefield yay wow. super excited to have buddy on we only have two episodes left for this season and then we're gonna take a break and i can't uh i can't think of a more fantastic way to start to wind down this season than to bring on uh, the one, the only, Buddy Wakefield. That's going to be a fun conversation, y'all. I know. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so excited. So if you don't want to miss it, please come back. Right? <laughs> Go get us, you know, follow us so you can get that information. But other Ding! than that, it's been great, Chippy. Until next week, stay safe, y'all. Bye, y'all.